Welcome to BS Reactor. A while back, we tackled our very first video game episode, and I may have misjudged how tricky an experience with a classic early 90s game would be for the majority of the crew. This was totally my bad. Later on, Evan enthusiastically offered to take a much deeper dive into the game, which brings us here. So, welcome to a very special BS Reactor re-review of Zelda, A Link to the Past. This time, Evan and I spend way too much time ranting about a game we both grew up on and obsessed over for decades. Make sure to check out episode 52 and 53, which is our original review. That way you have the best context possible for this whole situation. That is, unless you're not into spoilers and profanity, which are totally a part of that episode and this one. And as always, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Welcome back to BSR. This time we're going to do something a little different. It's just me and Evan here today. Yeah, these other scrubs didn't get through A Link to the Past, really. And we <laughs> wanted to talk about it because we love that game. We do. And after going through the review with them, I kind of had to give myself a little bit of a reality check. Yeah, usually we cover movies or something that are three hours total. Like three hours is on the long end. And if you're not familiar with this game, it can take you 10 hours to get through it easy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we've both played through it a number of times, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, I was playing randomizer runs to prep for this. So right, like, I, yeah. I know the game at least that well. Exactly. I kind of had to give myself a reality check on this because in my mind, Zelda averages out above a 90% on Metacritic. So in my mind, everyone <laughs> just loves these games. Yes. It's it's an infallible, obviously, it's awesome. Why are you not? <laughs> but, There's uh, a lot to be said for having people that did not regularly play games yeah. pre-3D. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. And Good. the thing is, I trust their opinions, though. Like they are gamers. They spent a lot of time playing even games that I would struggle at. Yeah. But this one, it just seemed it, it, it seemed like Malik was, was killing in Yakuza. Yeah. He plays Risk of Rain, which <laughs> I thought the reflexes would translate. But here we are. <laughs> it's a little bit different. I mean, how you handle hitboxes and spacing and stuff in a 3D environment, especially like Risk of Rain 2, is mm -hmm. a lot different to how you would handle a top-down isometric. Ah, uh, okay. Even like more classic top-down games, a lot of them tend to be turn-based stuff. Like the, the more sure, action yeah. games, Zelda is still kind of, at least The Legend of Zelda and Link to the Past are both kind of unique in that respect. Like they the, are, and I've heard him mention playing The Binding of Isaac before. Mm -hmm. So again, I assumed that there would be some holdover with that. But Link to the Past has a bit of a different mechanics system than a lot of even top-down isometric games. And it's a little slower paced than you might it expect. Is. And granted, Link to the Past is way easier than Zelda 1 or Zelda 2. Zelda 1, yeah. you're only attacking directly in front of you. Sometimes the movement mechanics are a little glitchy, but this one, you kind of have an arc in front of you. Yeah. Testing, testing. Hey, we're you're back. back. Okay. <laughs> oh, thank God. Okay. Uh, we had just gone over... We were talking about mechanics. All yeah, right, the, so like, we had a little bit of technical difficulty there. <laughs> so good times. So the attack structure in Link to the Past is a little different starting out. Yeah. Because instead of attacking just in front of you, you have an arc like from the side. Yeah. And interestingly, it's the arc only goes to one direction. Like the, uh -huh. the sword swing starts one direction, comes out straight in front <laughs> and stops. And also you can charge your attack and spin around. Far more usefully 
yeah. charge your attack and just hold the sword out. Yeah, and just poke people. But that kind of thing gives it more of a, a ranged attack. Like you can kind of plan out your attacks to the side a little bit, mm -hmm. use your shield a little more. So at least in my mind, it's easier than Zelda 1 and 2, especially 2 because 2 is a shit show. Um, but, we'll have that fight later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, Zelda 2 isn't a bad game. It just isn't a Zelda game. And we'll grant you it's the only one in the series you can soft lock yourself on accidentally. And also it gives you no indication that you can follow people into buildings, thus <laughs> terminating your progression. Um, you familiar with Aaron Hansen, Ego Raptor? Yeah. He's got a, a thing in his sequelitis piece that he talks about. There's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde NES game yeah. that everyone who wants to study game design should play because it is a good example of everything you can do wrong. And yeah. it, one of the things in there is that, that like you don't know uh -huh. which townspeople are important and there's no indication that you can go into houses. That's on the list. <laughs> and actually, um, I believe it's that game that put the angry video game nerd on the map too. Probably. In terms of a game being influential for the culture of video games, Dr. <laughs> Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is, is kind of up there. Yeah, for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, exactly. Definitely Zelda 2 is kind of an anomaly in this. Even Miyamoto said it was a mistake <laughs> like later on. Yeah, and it doesn't really fit the, I mean, even no. when they got into more action mechanics later in the series uh -huh. and everything was 3D, it's still not yeah. similar to any of that. And at one point I was trying to figure out what Miyamoto's perspective on the CDI games because kind of related but not to have perspectives <laughs> yeah yeah i shouldn't. can't i can't find an official response i'm sure there is in japanese i mean a lot of people avoid talking about the first two and uh -huh. nobody talks about the third one <laughs> <laughs> yeah so in my mind a Link to the Past is an easier game, but I imagine coming into that fresh without the headcanon of moves and like mechanics, it would yeah. be a little more difficult. I think our friends were kind of reacting to that, which again is legitimate. If you pick up Tolstoy, for example, and you're not used to reading books, that's going to be a painful experience. Yes. It doesn't make him a bad author. Yeah. So the other thing that I was thinking about this is that there's expectation for things to do in the game mm -hmm. without explanation of the things that you're supposed to do. And then the kinds of things you would do in video games at the time. So the mechanics of run up to things and hit them is just assumed the snake is going to travel in a very predictable way. The bats are going to travel again in a very predictable way. But if you're like, oh my God, these things are coming from nowhere. <laughs> yeah. If it's a pattern you've never seen. Right. And also we make assumptions like if you're outside of the culture of video games, there's no reason that you would know those things from a, a distance perspective. Say, um, Malik had this problem that he's yeah, like, yeah. he was talking about it took him time to figure out like okay there's a point in this game where you get the master sword the sword uh -huh, of evil yeah. bane so you can banish the evil magic that protects the wizard mm -hmm. but it's not super clear on first blush that there's like a weird glowing bat that keeps you out of part of hyrule castle yeah that, like, yeah that is that now bat. defeatable just by swinging your sword at it uh-huh because in a more modern game you would activate a cutscene in some way and then we like just now walk we up can and kill swing the bat. It. yeah yeah you would come up to it and there would be some kind of obvious activation for something cool to happen. And other things I can think of like Simon's Quest, yes. the old Castlevania game where you had to do this thing where you're something you had to be in your inventory and you had to kneel to a wall, which is supposed to be to the east or something. Yeah, It was this elaborate thing that I'm pretty sure was in the manual, mm -hmm. but without a walkthrough, like you would get stuck there. And another thing that got me was actually on the DS Zelda, which I'm blanking on the name of right now. Um, Phantom Hourglass, maybe? Yeah, that's probably it. But there's a section where you're I supposed to close the DS. Minish Cap was a 
Game Boy Advance game. Yeah, yeah. So either Minish Cap or and I think Spirit Tracks was mm-hmm. later. So, but yeah, it was a definitely a DS game that I'm remembering because you had to close it to transfer the seal from the top to the bottom. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I got stuck at that part for hours, and eventually I just had to look it up online to figure out what I was supposed to do. And it's like, but that's meta gaming. Like, yeah, <laughs> you aren't supposed to interact with the real world. There are some things like that that are interesting and clever. Uh-huh. Like famously, Metal Gear Solid has. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like there's someone you're supposed to contact, but they never give you their frequency. But the frequency is on the screen when you're talking to somebody. And uh-huh. there's a screenshot of talking to them on the back of the case. Yeah, yeah. And eventually they will tell you to look there. Uh-huh. But it, and, you know, like that had a lot of kind of goofy, like Metal Gear kind of became that. Yeah. And Psycho Mantis, the yeah. whole thing where he would read your memory card. Like, and was like, oh, you like fighting games, like, huh? I see you enjoy Castlevania. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you know? Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a really fun, they did a callback to that later of uh-huh, like yeah. a different psychic enemy that was not a fourth wall breaking lunatic. Yeah. And after you kill that enemy, Psycho Mantis possesses their body and then tries to read your save card, but there's not a save card. So he tries to predict your controller inputs, but there's nothing plugged into the controller port because these are wireless. And he's just <laughs> like, no. Because uh, those, those are his gimmicks, but yeah, yeah, they exactly. don't work on this system. There's absolutely a thing where we would have known as players of these games, but from a distance perspective, yeah. It would be like someone seeing the character of Moses from the Bible and being like, oh, he's a wizard because he has a staff. Like he has a magic wand. Right. That's why the water parted. But we know better. Yeah. Or do we? <laughs> like just because we have more of a context on this doesn't mean our, our perspectives are necessarily elevated. God gave me the power would be a great narrative for a wizard to apply to keep right? being persecuted. Yeah. Kind of like a thirgy kind of whatever yeah. thing. But that's neat. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> but uh, yeah. But, I mean, like he was saying that wasn't super clear and then like there's a part where you confront the wizard and uh-huh. he makes the princess vanish and then just teleports out of the back of the room like you see him slide partially visible uh-huh. through the back of the room yeah you have to and, move you know, the curtain yeah my first assumption as a kid was okay he's back there somewhere so like i would try to just push through the curtains and then got frustrated and swung my sword at them and that uh-huh. reveals yeah. the next room which is perfectly valid but malik was not a frustratable child at the time he played this sure yeah so he was just like all right he's gone he went to go talk to a different npc to find out what to do next yeah which is a reasonable assumption yeah absolutely like based on the games he's played but it's definitely not how this one works uh-huh. in terms of curtains i had accidentally slashed one of them before in the, in a different room and yeah. i was like well i'm gonna poke everything that i can get my hands on because yeah that's how i play games and you know like <laughs> if you know certain things about this game if you have your sword out and you poke the walls uh-huh. they will make a hollow sound if it's bombable yep and usually there are places where there are cracks in the wall like it's visible that they can be bombed yeah, and they, uh-huh. they will respond but there are a few places where it's not visible at all so if you're a completionist weirdo and again i was a child at the time and the time i spent on things was meaningless to me so <laughs> yeah it's amazing how the older we get the yeah. more meaningful our time is. Yeah, why not spend all the time to just poke every wall and make right, sure yeah and it was actually a concession that they made when developing the game to put those cracks in the wall because they didn't want people tapping everywhere in the game they thought yeah. it people would get distracted but yeah yeah that's that's definitely a thing that the transitioned there yeah so it didn't age well yeah yeah totally and there are some things in here here and there that are artifacts of game design just of the times that Mm -hmm. we would do something more elegant now but we've also had what 
20 more 30 more years oh yeah yeah so this was 1991 right yeah this game came out approximately 30 years ago yeah and in 1992 just to give kind of a perspective on how long ago that was uh batman returns came out that year and and wayne's world and mortal kombat came out that year like the first mortal kombat yeah Wolfenstein 3D, um, Michael Jackson's uh, Dangerous came out in 1991. Yep. Lionel Richie still had songs on the radio that were new. <laughs> like it it's been seems time. like it's not that long ago, at least in my head canon, but obviously that's forever ago. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, for and like, especially if you're looking like even just the perspective of gamers, first person shooters dominated everything for a very long time. Yep. And have kind of died off finally. They were not marketable when this yeah. game came out. Uh huh. It wasn't even possible wolfenstein made shit up it did yeah (laughs) and it seems like now all the games that are coming out are third person yeah the follow behind camera kind of thing which owes a lot to miyamoto's camera design (laughs) in super mario 64 so definitely miyamoto is at the forefront of a lot of trends and (laughs) there's also a lot of top-down games that pay homage to the game that we're talking about now a thing that they don't attribute to miyamoto is the narrative most of the games that he puts out are designed to be fun to play with yeah, but they aren't designed to have really deep talking points. Yeah, the stories are pretty light typically. I mean, like if we're going to talk about the story of this one. Do you want to start back at the war or? <laughs> yeah, so because there's a lot of story for this that if you did not have the manual or you didn't <laughs> yeah. sit and wait on the title screen for uh-huh. it, you did not know. And honestly, your character wouldn't know the background of the land. At least oh, no. in my mind, your character is the least. Yeah, he's just some dumb <laughs> like, kid that woke up in the middle of the night. It's interesting the way links used to be to how they became because Uh the most recent two games in the series skyward sword and breath of the wild right yeah lincoln skyward sword is an aspiring knight he is already in training as a knight of the land with his own bird mount and it is not seen as strange that he would go off in this adventure to fight monsters and save princesses and whatever because Uh that's what they do yeah right like he's he's (laughs) part of an order that Uh goofy green uniform is actually just he has the green one there's people with the same outfit and other colors right yeah and it's not weird no. or breath of the wild he was already the legendary hero a hundred years ago and, it's, and in that one's a know. little different because giving him a backstory is weird for this series right. but i mean even <laughs> so much even, even coming back to twilight princess he's just uh-huh. a kid from the woods but he's also he's not exactly a member of the town he lives in he, uh-huh. he's, he doesn't have any other family there and he's unusually skilled, fast, strong. Sure. Yeah. And took to the sword like it was nothing. Uh-huh. That's already established when you start the game. So the idea that he would be an epic hero involved in things isn't a stretch. No. And everybody in his hometown is like, I knew you were destined for great things, boy. <laughs> Whereas yeah. back in the beginning, the first Zelda game, he's just a traveler. Yeah. And they don't really give you, and like an they don't old, give you anything. Yeah. Really, an old lady game, is just like, look, shit sucks. Take a sword, fix it. And he's right, like, yeah. well, I'm here anyway. Because he walks into that cave and it was like it's dangerous to go alone and take this yeah from a distanced perspective it's like oh yeah i found an old man in a cave he gave me a weapon so let's do this yeah just like, yeah, it doesn't make any is, sense this is where he found himself on his travels yeah. so he's there's monsters he wants to not deal with that so yeah. let's fix it absolutely and say link to the past he's just a child that got uh-huh. caught up in this whole thing because 
I, okay, I guess we should probably talk about story because we're going to get to Yeah, well, why. I mean, before we go into that, the only other game that really gives him a backstory, at least in recent times after this, was a game that Miyamoto had no involvement in, which was the Game Boy version of Zelda. He was a product tester, like Miyamoto was a product tester after they would develop were developing yeah. it, but the Game Boy version he had limited involvement with. So well, I think it's kind of an artifact. Um, of so that. of the Game Boy games, like Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons, are uh-huh. in there, and then which came out like way well in my mind way later. Yeah, but Link's Awakening would be like the first one. Uh-huh. There's not really a backstory to that one, except that that Link is the one we're talking about in Link to the Past. Yes. Uh huh. His backstory is that he was also in this other game. <laughs> <laughs> also see and yeah when he's t- when he's tackling the windfish and he's talking to Marin and I don't want to go too much into that yeah. but it's like you actually feel for those people a little bit you're involved in their plight a little yeah. more than you would expect that's one of the things that makes Majora's Mask one of my favorites is that because <laughs> yeah. of the way it's structured you get involved in these people's lives they're sure, not just yeah. faceless or they're not just faces that stand in a place with the asteroid coming <laughs> and the you moon. replay yeah yeah the entire you're moon. replaying the game over and over and over again mm-hmm. it kind of lends itself to that it would be weird if it didn't have some kind of involvement with the characters but in this game specifically things aren't that emotive no there's some heavy stuff happening you're made aware that there are people that know who your character is yeah you and your uncle live a little ways away from the village sure but the people in the village still know you you are definitely descended uh-huh. of the knights but your family's not knights anymore yeah. and i think i said in the other recording that i see the map as a metaphor for what's going on like yeah. he lives in a small village near the castle. He doesn't necessarily live in the only house near the yeah, castle. The one house between. Yeah. In the same way that you walk into a building in the game, it takes up the whole screen, whereas it was just a couple blocks. Before and that. also in like a lot of traditional like Japanese RPGs, you would uh-huh. see one tile on the map with a couple houses in it and it would bring up this town when you step on it. And like the town would have an inn, some stores. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a house or two. Yeah. Like the overworld map in yeah. the second Zelda game. Yeah, like enough, even yeah. though a lot of people live here and it's whatever, you only see this small representation of it because mm-hmm. you know, yeah, rendering all of that would be pointless. In the NES days, they only had a couple pixels to express anything. Yeah. So getting to convey something like a character, like an actual human moving around and doing things is kind of like a feat of engineering. Yes. Yeah. And a lot like there are a lot of <laughs> classic things about Link having a shield in The Legend of yeah. Zelda. The yeah. reason that you'll see a lot of Christian imagery in the early game uh-huh. The reason it has a cross on it is so you know it's a shield. Yes. Or like the reason Mario has a big honking nose is because they had a choice uh-huh. between one pixel or nothing. You could either have a <laughs> that, flat that's face it. Yeah. or a big honking nose. Uh-huh. And also in this game, they reference Hera, for example, like Hera's Tower. Yeah. In Japan, I don't want to like speak for people, but all of the mythologies of the world are kind of on the same level. Like we talk about Thor, but we don't see Thor as necessarily part of a religion. Right. He's a character. And whereas Christianity in Japan, it's kind of seen as mythology. So they feel like borrowing a crucifix or a cross or whatever isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, it's, it's just it's not any weirder than having like, you know, your RPG having a Mjolnir hammer as one of the weapons. Right. Or like Devil Jen showing up in Tekken or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. the devil, but it's <laughs> a devil. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so there's a lot of heavy things that happen in 
in the script of Link to the Past, right? There's kidnapping. Uh, yeah, it opens up with, with the, the princess is being kidnapped and something's right. going to happen to her uh-huh. undisclosed. Yeah, and we reviewed a movie not too long ago called Searching, which is about <sighs> someone disappearing. That Like just the mechanic of not knowing where someone is that drives pushed the entire, an entire movie. Not just an entire movie, but one of the more emotionally driven movies right. I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, it like absolutely wrecks just on one of the things. Jesus. But also in this, you have his uncle dying. So you're dealing mm-hmm. with the death of a loved one. And that, that's sort right. of interesting <laughs> in like a... <sighs> Stories were interesting in uh-huh. earlier games, but they were not as impactful as yeah. because you didn't really get involved. No, he was just okay. there and he was gone. Right. You wake up hearing a telepathic message from, <laughs> which, from the know. princess, which it's like, that's why it's important that they're descended of knights, because uh-huh. only yeah. a certain bloodline, like you have to have been involved or descended uh-huh. from someone who was involved in this thing to hear it. Right. So you hear a message that she's been captured. She needs help. She's in the t- dungeon of the palace. Uh-huh. Link wakes up and his uncle stands up, sword and shield in hand, uh-huh. and is just like, go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Like, I'm going <laughs> out for it. a little bit. Uh-huh. You stay here and stay safe. Yeah. But the, you know, the next, like you go outside, there, it's raining. Everything's uh-huh. a mess. Like, yeah, the guard, you grab a guards lantern. are telling you to go home. Eventually, the princess leads you to like the outer garden secret tunnel or whatever. Right. As soon as you get in there, your uncle is on the ground uh-huh. dying and he's just like here's the sword and shield here's how you charge the thing uh-huh. our secret technique whatever blah <laughs> here's your tutorial and I'm yeah. dead but I don't think he's actually dead in my head canon he's just napping or whatever because he doesn't disappear he can't but- <laughs> be because he's in the ending yeah well I mean after the wishes which are jump- we're jumping ahead in plot well I don't they never really tell you what the wish is. They don't need to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is this overhanging doom and gloom. Yeah. He never deals with his, his uncle's death. No. But it's sort of that hero's journey thing where there's like this classical, like, how do we bridge the gap between reality, this hyper real thing where we're seeing the rain coming down, it's atmospheric. You can picture yourself walking to a castle. Yeah. But it starts becoming unreal as he, proverbially at least, jumps down the rabbit hole, right? Yeah. Once he enters that tunnel he's committed to being a hero. Like from that point on, that's his adventure. Zelda contacting him telepathically also gives you a hint that magic is relatively common in the world. Because yeah. telepathy is not a thing that happens in the real world. Um, <laughs> not that I've noticed yet. No, no. Anyway. There, there were some notes back in the day that Miyamoto wanted to put technology in the games. Kind of like with the newer Zeldas, there's a sort of old world, but technology <laughs> oh, in the background. they heinous with technology in some of the newer ones. There's, yeah, a, there's yeah. a whole area of Skyward Sword where like the place used to be a techno haven uh-huh. and there are weird time yeah. crystals you use to like reverse time in certain places uh-huh. to get all the machinery and the sentient robots working again. <laughs> and I'm kind of guessing that's because this game came out the same year as Final Fantasy V <laughs> and Dragon Quest V. You know, there's some tech elements in that. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, Final Fantasy V is yeah. a steampunk nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he wanted to put that in, but there were like limitations and he didn't want to confuse a narrative or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could have cell phones or some shit, but telepathy is just an easy excuse to give a tutorial to the character. Yeah. It's not like 
like Zelda's chiming in randomly throughout the game and being like, oh, I found a butterfly today. Yeah, like there's like no there's, character there development. There are a couple of depth. points where you're contacted telepathically uh-huh. when it needs to push you somewhere. And that's about it. Yeah. Kind of the tone of a man chooses a slave obeys <laughs> from uh, Bioshock. Yeah, we're, my, getting, we're getting a yeah. little deep here. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I think I said on the other one is like, is she controlling him? Because she's in the title, right? Yeah. It's not the Legend of Link. It's the Legend of Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, if we're dipping in things, there's a lot of fun uh, comics and commentary stuff about Breath of the Wild. Uh-huh. Where that Zelda is locked in a hundred year struggle with the ultimate evil, uh-huh. containing it while Link has been sleeping for a hundred years. So, you know, he's been sleeping off multiple mortal wounds. <laughs> but it's a game that encourages a lot of exploration and finding new things and trying stuff. Uh-huh. So you spend a lot of time just fucking around while every once in a while she's like, please help me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much longer I have, please. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be and nice? Like, if- <laughs> okay. But uh, my golf scores need improving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the side quests, there there aren't as many side games in this. Like, there's a couple. There's like mini bit. game type things and some things you can do to Collect make life easier. Pieces. There's a couple of non-essential items, which is mm-hmm. was new at the time. That there's anything yeah. you could not necessarily need. Although, I think both non-essential items are just invincibilities. Well, the ice wand. You oh, don't need? You do. <laughs> I mean, it helps. It helps if a lot. If you want to get through that last I mean, boss. You, you can win Turtle Rock without the ice rug i know i know (laughs) (laughs) yeah see where we are okay so you're down the hole he gives you the sword and the shield but as you're walking up the guards are saying that they're losing control of their mind i think we talked about this in the other one too most of the guards are telling you to go home yeah or or how do you how to look at your map isn't that convenient there's a couple Uh of them you can get to that Uh yeah are just like talking about how they've seen the other guards go crazy and become mindless yeah yeah you know just mindless creatures and like i can feel it happening right yeah like that's horrifying <laughs> it, it is and they just sort of gloss over it but i was debating on the outside when they're just seeing like this kid come up it makes sense they would just be like go home or whatever even if they were possessed they're not just gonna go around killing villagers because there's a village next to that and they didn't kill everyone <laughs> yeah and i mean right some of the people in that village will call the guards on you absolutely yeah and those guards will come for you and no one else yeah but once you pop up in that center garden it's game time it's right on. like yeah. everyone's attacking you i'm trying to think like is it are you the bad guy now for a little bit like yeah, you, you're, you are perimeter. killing soldiers there you is, just broke into the path, palace right? and started killing the guard it is completely reasonable for them to try to kill you like <laughs> So your uncle essentially implies that the guards are expendable is, is what I'm I think I'm getting at here. <laughs> I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. It is worth noting that canonically anybody you kill and like that death explosion animation that makes uh-huh. the little skull, that little skull thing that happens is a confirmation that they had an irredeemably evil heart. Really? Yes. Huh. Well, that's that's interesting. Is it like in Sonic when you jump on stuff, a little animal pops out? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Makes you wonder if Robotnik was just helping them. Yeah, I kind of wondered that too. But yeah, so from this point, you fight your way through the castle. Zelda is in jail. Like, it's a jail. They aren't hurting her. They're they're saving her. Um, you make some assumptions <laughs> that she's a good away. person. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of people that you had to kill to get here, but whatever. Uh, you fight the guy with the little flaily chain thing, right? A lot of people think that's hard. I could see how it's hard. It's the first. And it's it's one of those things where, like, boss, it, it's about how of? much you know about the world around you. Yeah, where, and how well you can use the boomerang. Uh, the boomerang is useless. The issue is <laughs> that. 
them. There is a jail cell nearby uh-huh. that has clay pots in it. Oh, yeah, I guess that is easier. That you can throw from outside of his reach, uh-huh. and two of them kills him. Gotcha. <laughs> so he's supposed well, to be very intimidating, but you can also just huck shit at him from across the room <laughs> and he dies. Yeah, well, it's like you get fireballs thrown at you later, and you can just use the net to deflect them back. <laughs> but again, that that's us knowing things. <laughs> but from this point, they exit, they go back up, and Zelda tells him about a secret passageway behind the throne room. Yeah, because the gates are closed. Yeah, and yeah. you can't go back out the tunnel you came in through because you fell down it. Right. But this is only like one of two secret passageways like this in the game. Yeah. And they're both early because everything else you just blow up with bombs. Yeah. And it seems like this would be a tutorial. One thing. is you cut open a bush. And it's yeah. just under the bush. Uh-huh. And this one is like you have to maybe the only place where you push aside something like that. Yeah. And again, you think this is going to be like the tutorial. Everything levels, else you push is like a big a one square statue or uh-huh. a block. Yeah. And this so far, it seems like a very linear, very planned progression mm-hmm. where they're doing this narrative like, oh, you got to see the princess now. Now you have to go this way. Now you have to fight your way through the sewers, which are next. Like it's, again, very atmospheric, very linear, telling a very cohesive story so far. And then you come out the back of a church right. and the pastor is like, I'll look after the princess. They refer to him as the loyal sage who dies not long after this. But <laughs> so he buys you around here. I, I'm just thinking like death follows Zelda around a little bit, like maybe a little too much. <laughs> I mean, yes, we're going to talk about Skyward Sword inning <laughs> as the origin of most of the repeating story. Yeah. You kill the king of all evil in that game mm-hmm. and he literally curses the goddess's bloodline. So the royal Hyrulean royal family uh-huh. and the spirit of the hero was reincarnated over and over. And it's just some kid in a green suit named Link all the time. <laughs> or interblank. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like literally cursed them that his hatred would follow them forever. Oh, God. So yeah. like that's why this happens. Well, there you go. They are cursed. If the royal family would just take it upon themselves to exile themselves and uh-huh. like take the blood of the hero with them. Sure. Yeah. Their rule would be fine. Forever. Yeah. At least from him. Yeah. At least from him. It's always him. <laughs> yeah. The only the only more consistent villain in video games is Dr. Wily. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Bowser. Yeah, but Bowser's not always the bad guy no. sometimes he's just he joins the good side because badder guys fucked him up yeah uh, yeah i'm still waiting for a bowser centric game like there was a warrior world game is, is there see, a bowser um, game well mario and luigi had a bowser's inside story where you literally oh yeah went inside bowser to fight a disease curse thing <laughs> yeah okay. i never played that one but i saw the covers yeah maybe i'll have to look that up you still play as mario and luigi most of the time oh okay there yeah. are bowser sections Gotcha. But yes, it is. It is very much that death follows this princess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or her entire line. I guess they sometimes have hundreds of generations where nothing goes wrong. <laughs> Making it real hit or miss. Yeah. yeah. After you exit the sanctuary, the world opens up. Not completely, but it opens up significantly. Yeah. And, and you it's, can travel. It's bright and shiny daytime now. There's uh-huh. no more storm. It plays that iconic music. You can go wherever you want, except where there's rocks that you have to lift. Rocks, or water. You have yeah, to hammer posts. down. Or, there are some gatekeeping objects yeah. that you have to have items for. But yeah, the next dungeon, I'm going to call it a dungeon just because it's kind of structured like that, is a village. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you come upon this village and there's a bunch of things to do. There's a bunch of people to meet. There's all kinds of personalities yeah. that you can get invested in. You've been kind of directed to go find the village elder. Yeah. Who's not here. Nope. You go right to his house and there's an old lady that's just like, nope, nobody's seen him. And the wise man's like, oh, he's probably hiding out 
out and blah 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 or whatever. Yeah. I cannot pronounce his name. Like Sahasrala. Sahasrala. The only person who knows where he is is his grandson, uh-huh. who will just tell you because you look like a great guy, <laughs> even though your face is on all the wanted posters. Because by the time you get out of the church, the evil wizard has publicly blamed you for kidnapping the princess. I mean, it makes sense for him actually. Yeah. Like from his perspective, that's just more efficient. It's exactly what you did from yeah, his perspective. Exactly. He had that princess fair and square, and you stole her. Yeah. We're assuming that she didn't do anything bad either. I mean, she was yeah. in jail by a legitimate authority, well, essentially. I mean, she also told you that the wizard killed her father, so... Yeah, yeah, there's that. But we, there's no confirmation of that, is there? No, but you don't ever see him, and she's the only royal you meet. <laughs> yeah, so you can imply that yeah. she's telling the truth. We'll just leave that open. But, I mean, there are a couple of villagers that, if they see you, will run back to their, like, scream, uh-huh. run yeah. to their homes, call the guards, and you have to fight off the guard. Again, who is just doing this job. Mm-hmm. Also in this town, there's the guy you buy magic bottles from. Obviously. Because capitalism works, you know, no matter which side of the fence you're on. (laughs) (laughs) There's chickens. And if you poke the chickens enough, you'll get stormed by chickens. It's meme status for the series. Yeah. You you irritate the chickens and they'll fuck you up. But this is where that started. Yep. If you hit a chicken enough times, the swarm will arrive. Mm -hmm. And I heard now I haven't played the spiritual successor to this game called A Link Between Worlds. Mm -hmm. But there is a mini game where you have to like bullet hell chickens or something. You have to play for like 15 minutes to unlock the big unlock or something. I don't know about 15 minutes, but it's definitely a like, yeah, you're slightly limited mobility and have to just dodge through the chickens for an excessive (laughs) amount of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see what else is there. Oh, there's also the Thief's Guild, the master like head of the Thief's Guild or whatever. Oh, yeah, but you don't actually see them in town. Yeah. In the far north, there's like rupees in a basement or something. It's related to that. Yeah. The guy who lives there will tell you this house used to be the hideout for a gang of thieves. (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) Yeah. Which will come up later, but like most Uh of the thieves you see have moved into the Lost Woods, north of town. Yep. And they will take your stuff. And there's at least one guy that like sits on the edge of the desert. Uh Uh-huh. They can pick any lock, but he has retired and does not speak. Uh Uh-huh. And it's weird and other people comment on it. But eventually you bring him a chest that he opens for you. Another bottle. Yep. There's also quarreling brothers that you have to bring together. There's like a little race thing for a piece of heart. Yep. One of the collectibles in the game. You get the bug net here. And again, I feel like there's a little kid that's sick. That's like, hey, you could use this and I can't take this net. Yeah, exactly. And it's very useful because you capture fairies with them. There's also a little kid that runs the fuck away from you. Yep, that too. My favorite part is when you actually catch him, which is something you can't do yet. Once you get the when you actually catch him, he's just like, I heard you were the one that kidnapped the princess, but you don't seem all bad. Either way you can run fast so here's a useful tip yeah it's like hey kidnapping Uh, murderer do you want to get some stuff out of trees i kind of feel like if freddie or jason did that like if they just sprinted and caught someone (laughs) and the lady they were chasing was like oh you don't seem so bad like that would be weird right yeah (laughs) it's like now that you've chased me down let's have a a a little heart to heart here though link is a trustworthy face yeah, I kind of wish there were more villages or at least one more village in this game. I know they're limited in room and theme and so forth. There's another so they village can't. in the dark world. <laughs> no, it's just full of Zoras and they hate you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that kind of counts. There are <laughs> houses, though. You know what I mean? You live underwater, man. What do yeah. you want? When I compare this to like Chrono Trigger, which oh, is Lord. very narrative based and also a significantly larger game. Like, By 
every standard. Right. Is, yeah. Because yeah. Link to the Past, I think it it was on a one megabyte cartridge, so it's like less than one megabyte contains this entire game, which is an engineering feat that it just boggles my mind that they managed to cram that much information. Oh yeah. In less than a floppy. <laughs> no, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And nowadays, just for example, each one of the files that I record for people in this podcast, like the wave uncompressed wave files, yeah. is probably a gig a piece. <laughs> so, which is absurd. Yeah, which I still am like, why? But sounds good, I guess. Even like modern games, like I laugh at like, okay, I have Halo the Master Chief collection on my PC. And uh-huh. I'll yeah. grant you that's like five games. Sure. It's sure. like Halo one through four and ODST. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's also 140 gigs. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I downloaded was it Metal Gear Solid Phantom Pain or something like that? Mm-hmm. And it was it was something like a hundred gig. Yeah. And it like I have yeah. Arma three is like 40 or 50 gigs and then my mod list for arma 3 is yeah. like 65 even skyrim if you start layering mods on is yeah. a significant number of gigabytes but uh, yeah i just think it's we'll do a it's a thing that we should do an old console hardware episode sometime <laughs> yeah we should do so that so we can talk about how batshit crazy it is that an atari 2600 even functions yeah for real and kind of reference to this in a way the nes got released just after the video game crash yeah, like people didn't trust Atari anymore. The peak of the crash would have been in '83. Uh-huh. The NES would have been early '85, I think. Right, and then the NES came out in America, and essentially, I don't want to speak too out of hand here, but it saved video games in the United States. Yeah, <laughs> it gave something that people could latch onto, and because Nintendo was so into themselves in terms of quality control, people could trust that they could buy games for their children, and they would be happy with them. They would keep yeah. them occupied for a good number of hours. And when Super Nintendo came out even more so you always have shovelware in oh, yeah. any console there's an nes jaws game that's just not great but no. <laughs> i bring up that one think... specifically because the thing that really set off the crash before was another was... spielberg tie-in <laughs> extraterrestrial <laughs> yep <laughs> which when spielberg brought et to them he was just like i want you to make a pac-man clone that's it <laughs> and they were like no we can do so much better and they didn't <laughs> so <laughs> they could they did do more they did. Definitely it was a very better, influential though. game. Uh, but yeah, where were we? <laughs> so, the, yeah, that's it's a dramatic amount of things uh-huh. for like how small these cartridges really are. And like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like if you study a lot of older successful programming, uh-huh. people used to be very, very good at it. Right. Yeah. Because you worked in some insane constraints. Yeah, absolutely. And when they made the arcade game Mario Brothers back in the day, it was a simple game. They didn't require too much programming skill. But when Miyamoto was trying transferring into developing things for the Famicom, his team didn't have the skill to put their ideas on a format that small. And yeah, you have like Gunpei Yuikoi that was part of the team. Yeah. He was a software developer for everything for a while when it back when it was RD4. Mm-hmm. And then this game came out after the transition to Super Nintendo, but Miyamoto was transferred to like an overseeing role because he almost killed himself making Mario Brothers 3. And <laughs> I, I get the feeling that's about to happen to Masahiro Sakurai. Yeah, I, I kind of get that too. Um, and speaking of Masahiro Sakurai, um, also coming out in 1992 was Kirby. Yep. Kirby's Dreamland, which mm-hmm. he was the head developer on. And his big software development guy was Sitoru Iwata. God rest who was eventually, <laughs> yeah, he's an amazing human. He was the best thing that happened to video games in a long time. Yeah. 
I don't know what Bowser's up to these days. <laughs> I wish him the best. I don't know what he's doing though. So we'll see. And and Yamauchi was just a scary man. Oh like yeah, the, I mean, he the was, predecessor of Iwata. But <laughs> he was he was old school. Yeah, yeah. There there's so many stories about him there, just actually, entering a room and terrifying people. So when we talk about like, okay, we're gonna we're branching really hard. We here, are. But yeah. <laughs> just like in the the culture of things, this is there's a pretty good precedent here. Uh-huh. The culture of Nintendo is hard to nail down because like it is on the consumer end it's always been viewed as the family friendly uh-huh. like it's not the hardcore games after you know the playstation started making noise right and and it's <laughs> you know sega does what nintendo don't like those yeah. ad campaigns it's all, like it's always been the the straight man to the edgies right yeah, yeah. Edgy, the edgy teenagers and again a reference to 1992 sonic the hedgehog 2 came out that year so <laughs> again there's, there's all these iconic things that happened the same year this was coming out but like the biggest shift in their culture i think that made things like the wii and then uh-huh. into you know all the ideas that culminated into the switch which is just killing it out there right oh now. yeah yeah despite having serious flaws that they refuse to address <laughs> which is part of their yeah. newer corporate culture uh-huh. but a lot of that changed from the handover to iwata because the previous president was proud of the fact that he'd never played a video game absolutely yeah and then that he made money from this industry he knew nothing about yeah whereas satori iwata had been into video games since his youth taught himself programming instead of going to regular school uh-huh. <laughs> you know? yeah yeah he used to program people's calculators to play simple games in school absolutely like yeah a, you know and i relate to this a lot because I also learned to code an assembly to get my TI-89 to do nice. things. So, And you also spend entirely too much of your life in tech-related pursuits for your own Absolutely. Enjoyment. I mean, I, I don't, we're not disclosing any NTAs here, but we, we both work in technology, mm-hmm. like, like tangentially. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, except, but, except I don't sleep much and Isaac sleeps less. Yeah. <laughs> not that that's a good thing. <laughs> Insomnia is a disease so so kids out there try, try to sleep more but <laughs> get yourself into a sleep study kids right yeah <laughs> seek professional help none like us um <laughs> Nintendo is definitely an interesting company and gaming owes Nintendo a lot. It has changed a lot over the years. Oh, yeah. um, this episode is going to come out probably a couple times after the original episode, but we recorded the original Zelda thing probably a month ago, I'm yeah, going to guess. About. Yeah, something like that. And Malik did his Pokemon episode after that, which is the other big Nintendo thing. Wait, did we talk about Pokemon? Did that happen? Yeah, yeah, we happened. Was yeah. I here for that? Yeah, you were here for Holy that. Holy shit. <laughs> Do I talk about Pokemon enough in my life that that doesn't stand out? <laughs> Weird. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he did oh, Pokemon no, the, the movie first movie. One. Yeah, right. yeah. Right, right, um, right, right, right. <laughs> which we went on a, a wild tangent about actually talking about Pokemon games at one point. Yeah. No, I could do that for days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, is, it has got to be the least finished tapestry in existence. <laughs> yeah. And again, Pokemon destroyed and actually probably saved Nintendo at some point because the Mario games weren't testing as well at the time but no no and pokemon's now what like the most profitable franchise in existence second most it's still mario but (laughs) yeah it's i don't know across everything yep that's amazing again i'm probably wrong so so go ahead and fact check me on that but (laughs) uh nintendo is a stalwart i hope they keep around 
I don't have enough time to play video games like I did back in my younger years. Speaking but, of all the time we used to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nintendo started off as a playing card company, kind of, because gambling was outlawed in Japan for a good number of years. But they managed to get around it by making art cards <laughs> that people could gamble with. And then they did toys for a while. Then they did arcade games. But by the time the family computer, Famicom, came out, they were looking for other things to invest in. Okay, I have uh, acquired the most definitive body of human knowledge, Wikipedia. (laughs) Mario doesn't even break the top bracket. Really? Okay. Pokemon is currently at the top, followed by Hello Kitty. Oh, yeah. Winnie the Pooh. Uh Mickey Mouse and Friends separately from Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) Wow. Both of those make about $80.3 billion total revenue. Jesus. And then Star Wars. Yeah, that makes a weird kind of sense. Sanrio is slapping Disney around. That's amazing. Yeah, we don't see Hello Kitty as much around here. Well, yeah, I I would say that it's Pokemon, then Hello Kitty, and then Winnie the Pooh, Mickey Mouse and Friends, Star Wars, Disney Princesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then and Pan Man, and then the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So (laughs) Disney is making all the money. Absolutely. But Mario comes in right after Marvel. It looks like, well, over 2020, Marvel squeaked past Mario. My information's a little dated on that but, but it's, mario it's interesting is still that, handily beating harry potter especially now um <laughs> but anyway another rabbit hole for another day but yeah when miyamoto got hired he was oh, an artist I, i'm sorry when so. i when i tell you that pokemon is the most successful or like most profitable oh yeah probably by a shit ton right so around 80.3 billion total revenue is mickey mouse and friends and Winnie the pooh 84 and a half is hello kitty and pokemon is estimated over 105 <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah. And we talked about earlier that they thought about redesigning Pokemon for the States. I I always think that's hilarious that it probably would have just bombed if they actually made the, the monsters ugly. Um, so when Miyamoto was hired, he was a very anime inspired artist for Nintendo. Oh yeah. When you see the box art for stuff for like the Mario brothers, that's actually him drawing that Mm -hmm. his rounded style is the thing that's definitely influenced all the games thus far. They hired another artist and I'm blanking on the name right now, but he worked on like the studio Ghibli films, specifically Valley of the Wind. Are you going to look it up? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, he also designed a bunch of art. So the anime vibe that has been part of Nintendo probably since the beginning is definitely a part of that too. They have to avoid the classical Nausicaa. (laughs) It turns out I'm not looking for the Odyssey. See, Wikipedia doesn't want to tell me who drew any of this. Cinematography, sure, but... So yeah, the art style in this is definitely influenced by Japanese culture and anime and everything that was part of the zeitgeist in the early 90s. I'm sure if you look up anime from the early 90s, you'll see a lot of cues back and forth. Oh, yeah. Sort of jumping back into this because we're like, you know, 2% into the game <laughs> and we don't need to talk about like the whole game or whatever. But um, once you get to the first dungeon, mm-hmm. things kind of open up. Yeah. Like you have more options. You collect the three pendants from the different whatever's like like the, the MacGuffins corners of the that, world, basically. Yeah. You collect the MacGuffins. It kind of gives you an idea of the You're map. sent off to a mysterious temple and. Yep the burning desert and then the tallest mountain because yeah the first dungeon is sort of like this complex ruins kind of thing to the right of the castle on the map yeah and in the east in the east right the eastern palace in fact it is called 
Uh-huh. And it's a basic dungeon to get you an idea of what a dungeon should be. Yeah. Right? It teaches you about pressure plates and putting statues on top uh-huh. of buttons and, and predictable enemy movements. And that sometimes you get keys from specific pots or uh-huh. hidden maps. places, or sometimes you have to kill the right enemy or all the enemies. Uh-huh. It has all those sound effects in the background to tell you if you're successful or not. In in this one, because in the in the castle there is kind of normal enemies. You have soldiers you have bats you have snakes these aren't mythical creatures that you're fighting but in this first dungeon it changes completely because you're fighting skeletons cyclops things and those yeah like armored cyclops yeah like weird masses of tentacles yeah weird masses of tentacles there's what we find out later angry fairies little fireballs yeah it's like a skull with fire swirling around it yeah it's in fact an evil fairy right yeah and you can turn them good you can with magic dust that you get from a witch later (laughs) yeah Who is very specifically evil? I don't know. Like she's stoked about Ganon. <laughs> is she? Yeah. Oh, okay. She's I just also willing to make magic for anybody who brings mushrooms. So yeah, that's true. There's definitely a thing in here where things are more supernatural. You get the bow in this one, which is yep. another standard weapon. Oh yeah. When people talk about Zelda, uh-huh. I, I may have gone over this in the last recording. Sure, but yeah. like when people talk about Zelda, the Ocarina of Time is like the golden standard that made all the conventions. Uh huh. And I, that's a really funny idea to me just because Ocarina of Time is a straight up love letter to Link to the Past. Oh yeah, absolutely. You gain three pendants to get to the Master Sword and then uh-huh. you enter a different world where everything is ruined, which is you know, like the dark world in this game, and have to free sages uh-huh. from captivity yep. so that they can break the final barrier to get you into Ganon's palace. That is all straight up one-to-one this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the, it's what people you know. wanted at that time. That's- oh yeah, they wanted Link to the Past in 3D. Exactly. And we got yeah. that and it was great. Very few people complain about that it game. It didn't it didn't hold up super well. <laughs> yeah. The first boss that you fight mm-hmm. in this basic dungeon is the Armos Knights, which basically attack you with line dancing. Yes. There's a series of statues and uh-huh. they move in formation. They do. And Line up so you can shoot them with your bow. Mm-hmm. Most basic enemy probably ever. Yeah, it, like, it's the sort of thing that if you're hesitant, you uh-huh. may it may take you some time to flip sure, in and out. Yeah. If you are confident in your placement, you can narrow one down at a time and really nail And if you uh-huh. have done this sometimes, you can kill all of them in four seconds. Yes. <laughs> Speedrun are really a humbling experience for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was kind of how it played out when I played it for this review uh-huh. is that just I actually stopped at some point and went back like I, I did a couple of randomized things, a couple of just things to refresh myself about the game sure, yeah. uh-huh. as I know it. And I actually had to stop and go back and try to just play it like a person playing a video game and not someone <laughs> who's been familiar with this game and everything about it for 30 it's hard, years. Right. Like, it, yeah. it's hard to unthink yourself <laughs> and when i was playing this when into the playthroughs for the episode i was thinking there's armos statues outside right you bump yeah. into these statues that come alive and they follow you those are actually more of a motherfucker than the actual knights in this level well, because the knights move a little slower right they bounce back a lot further when you hit them mm-hmm. and they move in predictable patterns whereas right. the ones Until outside the come right after you the ones like they make a beeline for you and they are going to murder you yeah until you get to the last knight and then it just jumps pauses and then tries to stomp you yeah but so again, the most dangerous thing about it is that to it. its window to be attacked is very narrow right yeah but it also does the same thing over and over with the same timing uh-huh it does so you beat the guy you play some really happy music like really successful make you feel good about your life music oh yeah and then you get more health 
thus making the rest of the game easier or making the difficulty spikes are going to throw at you more tolerable. Sure. Yeah. And also combats the horrendous beeping that I'm pretty sure we talked about the other thing. But like the reason that I wanted more than one heart was to avoid the beeping half the time. Yes. Not because I was afraid of dying necessarily, (laughs) but it was just like, oh, my God, make it stop. (laughs) Yeah. So after that, see. So once you get the cold of this pendant, the yep. you have to go find the elder, and he tells you to retrieve it. Right. So when you bring it back I to him, them. yeah. When you bring yeah. it back to him, he gifts you with a pair of boots. Yep. That are called Pegasus boots and do not allow you to fly. Again, reference to mythology. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Kid Icarus. You don't know, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they do allow you to run really fast, and if you do go catch that one kid that runs away from you all the time, uh-huh. he will tell you. It's one of those things where I see where they were going but i see how many people would miss it yeah the only thing you've seen in this game that moves fast enough you would need these boots to catch them is that kid yeah and if you go catch that kid he will teach you that if you ram full tilt into some things you get prizes or something happens uh-huh like the book yeah so like into in, this, the desert. in that yeah. <laughs> village there is a library and the only thing visibly interesting in that library is a book on top of the shelves that you can't reach uh-huh but if you slam into anywhere in that building it shakes the building and the book falls down yeah if you try to go to the desert before that there is a statue in front of the entrance that you uh-huh. can't pass yep there's just some squiggles and then a tablet with squiggles on it yeah, that you can't yeah. translate so this book allows you to translate the squiggles yeah and in my mind it would have been more narratively coherent to have something you can push out of the way much like the secret entrance in the castle to get to this book right. like it would make more sense in my head to like cue people and to look for things to push out of the way of secret entrances right but they want but you to the use opening the was boots a, but the opening so was not a tutorial it, it turns was out. not no there are a lot of interesting things uh, we kind of gloss past this uh, yeah there's a point in that area where you kind of get out of the sewers into a more maintained looking area uh-huh. and there is a tile that will tell you there are two levers here one is safe passage <laughs> to sanctuary the yep. other one's a trap one snakes it's a shitload of snakes and uh-huh. like the snakes actually move a little less predictably than the bats do so they are a real ass threat when you have three hearts and just went through a whole dungeon yeah so that could be a problem but these switches are like you grab onto a handle and pull this whole thing out of the wall until it clicks. Uh-huh. So there are about three of those yeah, in this yeah, game. There are. And there's one switch, or I think one type of switch, like in one dungeon, where it's a bar that sticks out that you push around a corner. Yeah. And it just seems interesting to me that those exist, like, again, as it's, you know, should be a tutorial section, uh-huh. they teach you to use this pull switch that you're going to use, like, one other time. Right. And in fact, it's in the dungeon where the other type of switch is. <laughs> it is, because you're talking about the water level yep. later on. So the water level does that. There's also a tongue you have to pull at some point yes yeah it, it seems somewhere like, in the ice dungeon <laughs> especially because everything seems so efficient they're reusing assets mm-hmm. they're really getting every it's just very every strange bang out of every buck that possible, those things right? are so different yeah and isolated i mean even the lion's share of the dark world is a reskinned version of the light world yep. to i don't want to say artificially but to more easily increase the playtime. yeah because you have this entire new world to explore with different mechanics it furthers the story and whatnot but yeah yeah it just seems like they went to all the trouble to set the mechanics up for this mm-hmm. and devoted code to this that they would commit more yeah. but nope that's out even simple puzzles of like pull these switches in order could reuse yeah. it and they Absolutely. just don't because like even pull these switches in order is a thing that skyrim does <laughs> yeah <laughs> like multiple times but again that's oh, a very different the, well, kind of game well, 
We could do an episode on Skyrim and reusing assets and mechanics. Uh, yeah. Guess what? You're in another Draugr tomb. <laughs> oh, did, did you find a way out of this Draugr tomb? That's not the way you came in. Guess what? You're in Dwarven ruins now. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, oh you spent too long in the Dwarven ruins? Welcome to Blackreach. Yep. <sighs> <laughs> yeah world weary sigh of a game they keep re-releasing and making money off of i saw something great the other day that was like what i grew up with and it's a picture of the skyrim thing like what the next generation will grow up and it's just skyrim again yeah but on the switch yeah <laughs> maybe in 3d give it time um <laughs> so you go through the desert palace at this point the desert palace i always thought was very interesting because it it's is. it's a lot less a dungeon than most uh-huh there is a big open room with little side rooms i'm like that's the bulk of the dungeon yeah is this one big open room with crisscrossing hallways and narrow parts some parts of it have like little low walls that block you off so you do have to navigate around uh-huh. but it's all open yeah right and then there's a couple of little side rooms where you open chests and get keys to go into more side rooms, to, you know, uh-huh. to open chests and get keys. Then you get the gloves that allow you to lift the rocks. You'll see little green rocks all over the place. Mm-hmm. And the big green rocks, which you can still lift, they just take a little more, a little longer, a little yeah. more effort. But at some point, you just go outside. Yeah, there's a point where you exit the dungeon to get to the other part yeah, of the dungeon. You go to the back of the dungeon, and there's another door with the rocks in front of it. You yeah. have to get these gloves if you want to move on. Uh-huh. But then once you get back there, there's a couple more rooms and a boss. Like, it's really not super detailed, but it feels so different just because yeah. of the layout and the fact that you had to essentially exit to get yeah. back in like that blew my mind back in the it day it would have been so just meta. as simple to have a linear structure like just go oh, yeah. through these rooms one at a time or go in a spiral or something but just yeah. having it be side rooms off the big room and then go outdoors like that felt so different yeah it did they made it one of the coolest ones and it had a lot of elements you definitely knew which way you were supposed to go which mm-hmm. is a problem with a lot of games that it doesn't give you like which is a problem with some of the dungeons in this game yeah especially the thieves guild yes looking at you blind <laughs> where does the cane come from oh the magic cane yeah. before you get to turtle rock i don't remember which we'll dungeon get there. That it's is. in my notes somewhere is that the swamp it might be the swamp <laughs> which is more disappointing yeah. because that's like the dark world version of the desert right yeah yeah so yeah you get through the power glove do you think the power glove is a reference to the nes power glove the controller well, fist thing i was gonna say it's zelda one has a power bracelet yeah that lets you push heavy statues i uh-huh. assumed it's just the upgraded version of that right. so it's not them being cheap about a, a peripheral that didn't I mean maybe catch on. there's maybe a little bit of that yeah the power glove and, the, and in this game there are darker green rocks that are too heavy for you even with the power glove uh-huh. so you have to get the titan's mitts right yeah again <laughs> for everything being one to one there are heavy things to pick up in ocarina of time that you need silver gauntlets for uh-huh. and even heavier things you need golden gauntlets for like Ooh, it is, yeah it is so beat for beat. It's ridiculous. The boss in this one, again, it's a group of three bosses in yeah. this, but they're, they're sandworms made out of balls that do dolphin jumps mm-hmm. and you have to whack them when they're yeah. in the air. Slash your heads. And the last one, again, when you get down to the last one of these, he changes his pattern a little bit and he spits rocks at you. It gets a little faster. It's easier to kill him with the ice rod, apparently, which but, is an optional. Yeah, but that is a thing. thing that you probably would not have even considered oh, no, yet. No, you would just whack him with your sword. 
it because it's there. Yeah, actually, I was going to say the ice rod is interesting. So it, it's in the, the bottom right corner of the map. Uh-huh. It's a place that it takes some time to get to. You have to go all the way around the big lake. Like you can't get to the Zoras to get flippers and swim uh-huh. through things until after you have these gloves. Yeah. So it takes a lot of time to go all the way around the lake to get to this secret cave. And the part of it that has the ice rod is actually hidden. Yeah, you have to blow a hole in the rocks. Yeah, there's an obvious place to blow a hole open and then a hidden one. Yeah. Uh-huh. But the ice rod is not the most valuable thing in that cave. No, it's the fairy thing, right? So you can catch a couple different things with your bug catching net. Uh-huh. And yeah. be fairies. And sometimes when you cut down grass or a bush, a bee will come out and attack you. Yep. And if you capture it, you, you get can, a good bee. Yeah, you can catch bees and put them in bottles and release them to fight your enemies. But bees will also turn on you. Yes. But in this place, there is the good bee. Uh-huh. And it it's very shiny and, you know, glimmers. But when you release the good bee, it will go kill all the enemies on the screen and then come back and hover next to you and wait to be caught. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like a weird secret. And it's something you have to, I think you have to slam into the statue. I think so. It's, it's some, like a fairy fountain statue. Like that, yeah. You have to slam into the statue to have it out. But like, uh-huh. it's a bee that's been living in a fairy fountain and has become holy in some way. Uh-huh. And it's and just it's your friend. It is a weird, dumb thing that doesn't really belong in this game. No. But it's there, by God. Yeah. <laughs> when I was playing this as a kid, and you mentioned that you catch fairies, right? Yeah. With with the net and put them in bottles. And it's since this game, it's been a staple. Fairies have always filled your hearts back up. But this yeah. is, if you have one in a bottle, it will automatically activate when you die. Yes. Which is a game changer that kind of stuck through the series. But when I was a kid, I assumed that he was eating the fairies. I mean, yeah, you eat everything else that comes in bottles. Right. Except the bees, I guess. Which, you just let them I mean, down. in retrospect, I never assumed he was putting the root rupees in his mouth yeah right like i never assumed he ate that but the only other stuff that goes yeah. in bottles is like potions so is he eating the fairies I, are they okay with it later entries that has him just open it and then the fairies do their swirl around and fly off thing uh-huh. but also sometimes they disappear when they're flying around you so they might still just be giving their lives for yours it's not just the like they exit into their fairy world or whatever yeah uh, umbra or i mean maybe I know, yeah. but they're not clear on it and probably yeah, yeah. i mean they don't have that's to explain it it's it's, you know, it's, it's when in this kind of video game, maybe you don't want to know, we don't but have to explain <laughs> shit. But again, like as a kid, I was just assuming that he was eating them. And I was like, I don't know if I'm okay with this, but yeah, I don't know. It was, yeah. You mentioned the Zora flippers in the top right corner. You can meet this monster. So, thing. so Zoras are interesting in the, because if, again, if you've been like a Zelda fan, that's maybe a little younger than us uh-huh. or just picked it up when it got huge because Ocarina of Time sold Buku crazy copies right, and yeah. is a way bigger public consciousness thing. Their Zora are tall, slender silvery fish people and like even they've changed like all the way up to breath of the wild they're no longer based on river creatures they're based on sea life and they're Uh multicolored and have you know like their prince has a giant shark for a head (laughs) but they're still like tall elegant people Uh uh-huh these are straight up freaky river monsters. They and are. Yeah. They have horrifying ghastly faces with sharp teeth and they're like green and red and just uh-huh. like these are straight up yokai. Yeah. There is an episode of the X-Files. There's this guy with four teeth that lives in like a vat or something. Mm-hmm. First season of X-Files that was like, oh, they caught a Zora. In my mind, yeah. it was yeah, that. And also in the first Zelda game, Zoras are a thing, but they just pop up, shoot yeah. fireballs but at they you are and, the awful toothy mod green. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're things. Yeah, which is what they were until Ocarina of Time was like, no, they're pretty now. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So in this one, you travel all the way up there and you give them, was it 500 rupees? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, it's an exorbitant is, amount. Of, it's like it, half of what you can carry. Yeah. Which is, it's a lot, especially this relatively early in the game mm-hmm. to give this many rupees just because someone asked for them. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, what do I need Mostly like for? he was impressed that you got all the way through yeah, his yeah. people because they're all hostile. Right. Yeah. They're all trying to kill you. Fireballs and like claw attacks or whatever. Yep. And they're very hard to fight because they hang out in water too deep for you. Right. Yeah. And Link notoriously cannot swim. Sure can't. He's like the Grand Theft Auto guy. Yeah. Just if he gets in water that's too deep to walk in, he just drowns. Yep. And that all changes when he gives half of a, his entire fortune to a giant <laughs> right? fish man. Again, who just, just gives him flippers. He's like, here, you can swim now. Yeah. <laughs> Join us next time for part four or part two, if you count like Star Wars. BS Reactor is recorded in a socially distanced quasi-studio to keep us all safe. All voices, music, and mixing are put together by us. Obviously, the song playing right now is a tribute to Zelda 3's Dark World theme, and that's owned by Nintendo. Please don't sue us. Otherwise, all rights reserved. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas on which one of our other reviews you want to hear two of us rant about for hours, contact the show on social media or our website, bsreactor.com. This week's episode is not brought to you by The Power Glove, a heavily advertised NES specialty controller from the late 80s that was almost impossible to play games with. It was so bad. And as always, thanks for listening. We appreciate it.